As you make it back to your seats, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Yeah, I don't think my mic's on. Okay, this is awesome. This is where it gets real awkward. Go ahead. Matthew seven fifteen through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Maybe you will ask by the reading of God's word. Uh, you may be seated. Well, it's with great sadness I say that this is the second to last week of our Sermon on the Mount series. Uh, we are, uh, we'll finish the sermon series next week, and then the following Sunday we'll start a new series called The God Who Builds. We'll be walking verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, so this week and next week we're coming to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. As you know from last week, if you're here with us last week, uh, we begin to transition in this part of the text. Uh, Jesus has done giving all that he has given to us through the knowledge, through the revelation, and now the next, last week, this week, and uh, next week, we're going to look at the application, if you will, to the passage. You know, last week we looked at, uh, Jesus said to us uh, that the way into heaven is through a narrow gate, and once we get onto the narrow gate, there's this narrow path that we walk on, that there will be suffering and there will be persecution when we come to know Christ, and he's saying to us, and the challenge to us is, um, are we willing to count the cost and walk through the narrow gate on the narrow path to live out the Sermon on the Mount, in essence, is what he said. Are you willing to do all that I've just taught you uh, through this uh, passage of Scripture, through the greatest sermon ever taught? And now in this passage, he's going to, uh, looks like a switch in what he's going to tell in the application part, but it's really not. As Amanda just read, he says, to beware of false prophets. And so here Jesus is saying to us, um, you are, you are going to enter into a gate, you're going to come to the narrow gate or the wide gate, and at the, at the start of each gate, there's going to be a false prophet. Right? That's what the false prophets are, are there to do. They are to distract the believers to walk the narrow way. Right? So a false prophet uh, comes and begins to teach the things of God, uh, though they're not completely the things of God. And so he's going to give us a warning and so there's two things that we'll look at this morning. The first thing we'll look at is in verse 15, the warning. And the next thing he's going to tell us to do, the watching. So the warning and the watching. I told John, uh, I'm going to shame myself with this opening story. Uh, here's the first part of the shame. I played water polo in high school. That's the first shame. The, the next is even greater. I had to wear a Speedo. That's even greater. Don't just erase that from your mind. I said it, now let it go out. But here's the thing. Have you guys ever uh, come upon something that at first glance, it looks to be something that's healthy and good and, and right? Whether it's food, whether, whatever it is. That was the case uh, in high school, my senior year of high school. There's this kid that played water polo with us. And he wasn't the greatest player. 
And so we, as a team, thought, hey, how can we distract this kid and make life uh, miserable for him to play water polo? Because uh, he had to play, and yet every time he jumped in the pool, this is the saddest part. The way he jumped in the pool, you ever seen a dog jump in a pool? Like they just take a running start, and then all their legs just kind of flop. That's what this senior in high school did. That's how he would jump in the pool. And I thought, man, you make our team look ridiculous. And so we, me, I, I have great shame sharing this story. Don't judge me. I wasn't a Christian. I wouldn't do it the same. Uh, it was right before I came to know Christ. And so I thought, man, how can we get this kid to get off the team? Well, we started with a swirly, uh, dunk, dunk his head in the toilet. That didn't work. So my genius idea was this. If you've ever seen a Speedo, inside of a Speedo, I'm probably going to get fired for sharing this story. <laughs> you don't ever start a sermon off with a Speedo. But there's a lining in the Speedo. And so I thought, you know, the greatest way to get this guy off the team is to put Icy Hot in the lining of the Speedo. Yeah, I did that. So, and I was smart enough to put a glove on because that, that stuff hurts to begin with. So I took a big old handful and just scooped it in there and rubbed it all in the lining of the, uh, the Speedo. Then hung, it, hung his Speedo back in his locker like no one had ever came. And so when he comes to the locker, it looked like the Speedo was completely okay to wear. Right? On the outside, it looked perfectly fine. And yet when he put it on, we know what happened. That still didn't distract him from getting off the team. He uh, finished the team with us. Uh, I say this with great shame again. He blew out his ACL jumping in the pool, so he kind of got off the team. But even us putting uh, what seemed to be the thing that would distract him the most from joining the team did not. And I use that illustration to say this. When he came to the locker that day, when he looked at his, when he looked at his swim trunks, what was on the outside was not what was on the inside. It appeared to be something that it wasn't. And that's what Jesus is saying here in this passage. He's saying to us, there is a warning for us. There are false prophets among us. And what false prophets, what Jesus is saying here, they look like they have what we would say are believers. On the outside, they look like they are one of us. And maybe in the way they talk and the way they use the word of God and the way that they pray and the way that they give. All the things that when we look externally at a believer, we would say these people had it. That's what Jesus is going to say to us. And so he gives us a warning. He says, beware of the false prophets. And now you have to know and I have to know that this is not a new thing in the time of Jesus. False prophets had been around for a long time long time. We can go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 13, 1 through 5. This is what Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. This is when the Israelites are coming out and coming into the promised land. God had just given them the Ten Commandments. And after he, right after he gives them the Ten Commandments, he says to them, hey, beware of false prophets. Because even now there's false prophets among you. Even now in your midst, the people of God, there's false prophets. And in that section of Scripture, if you read it, it talks about idolatry. What Jesus is warning people about and what God was warning people about was the idea of idolatry. And that's what he's going to warn us again in this passage. That's what false prophets wants to, wants to do. They want to come into our lives and they want to distract us from our worship of God to worship other things because if they can distract us from worshiping a holy God, then our attention to a holy God will be distracted and will be drawn away from the holiness of God. 
And that's what God deeply cares about is for us to worship him forever and ever. Again, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so if a, un, if a false prophet can come and take our affection away from God, then he knows we will no longer be satisfied in God. If we're no longer satisfied in God, we'll always look for something to satisfy us. And so God is going to warn us against false prophets. And they've been around forever and ever and ever. It says this, if a prophet, a false prophet, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5, or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder or the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. If what God is saying, even here in Deuteronomy, hey, these false prophets, they might even look like they're doing miracles, but beware of them. Because even then, the, there is a supernatural power that's demonic that can bring about things that look godly. And so he's going to warn us. And so he teaches through that. But we see also that it's going to continue to happen. So Jesus here at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount is going to say to us, hey, not only are there false prophets then, but there will be false prophets for the rest of your life. He tells us that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. Jesus says this, and many false prophets will arise and what? Lead you and lead many astray. That's the scariest part about the false prophets. And as your pastor, I must warn you the way Jesus warned you that there are false prophets even in this town. And I would tell you this. It, it, you may not know it, but through the, this text, through Jesus' warning and through his watching, my hope and prayer for us is that as God's people, we will come to the end of this passage and we will have a clear understanding who the false prophets are and who the true prophets are. And it's your job, not just my job, but it will be your job for that discernment. But it's my job as your pastor to forewarn you the way Jesus forewarned you, to give you the tools to know who is false and who is true. And so throughout the Bible, we see this idea of false prophets. They're also called false teachers in the Bible. They're also called false brothers in the Bible. They're also called false apostles and false witnesses. But I think probably the scariest of all of them, is what we'll look at in this text. You see, what Jesus is going to show us in this text, the false prophets look like false shepherds. Those are the scariest. And so we'll look at two things this morning when it comes to the warning that God gives us. We see that first thing. The warning comes in the word beware in verse 15. Circle that in your Bible. And so Jesus is going to tell us to the warning to beware of things and out of being aware that shows to us that there's two things that we'll look at the danger of a false prophet and the description of a false prophet we have to know the danger of the false prophet and so jesus says this he says beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves the first thing that we see is the word beware this one little word in this text has, is packed full of meaning. It is packed full of meaning, meaning that we are to be on guard. That's what the, the word beware means, to be on guard, to take a defense, that we are not to be passive when it comes to false prophets, that we as God's people must be 
aware that they are coming. That's the other thing that we see. The danger is coming. That is a promise from the Lord Jesus in this passage. You see, Jesus would not call us to beware of something and to be stand on guard something if he knew that they weren't going to come and attack us. And so he's saying, hey, the, the warning is out there. They are coming. You and I live in a day and age that the false prophets are all among us. Go to Barnes & Noble. As soon as you walk in the door, on the left-hand side is a false prophet. He's got a mullet. He's from Houston. His name is Joel Olstein. He is a false prophet of God. He is a dangerous, dangerous man. And we can read his books and we can listen to him and it will tickle our ears and think, man, he's got it. No, people of God, he does not. And there's so many more like him out there that stand behind the pulpit and stand with the word of God to teach falsehood to lead you and I astray. That is how cunning and baffling and powerful Satan is. Satan knows that if someone were to stand in a pulpit and preach heresy, black and white, we would know it. And so what does he do? He uses people that, man, that guy can teach like no other. He can't preach with a lick. He is a great communicator. He is very persuasive. He is very inviting. He is very friendly. But he is a false prophet. And so Jesus is telling us here in this passage, beware of the false prophets there among you, that you and I, we will continually be under attack from false prophets from now until the day we die. They will never go away. Satan is using false prophets to lead many, many, many people astray. How come? Because of the opening line that I say, God is most glorified in you and me when we are most satisfied in him. And so a false prophet is going to come and try to rob us of our affections and our attention from a holy God. And so the next word, what are we to be aware of? The false prophets. Here's the thing about the false prophets. It's not just that they teach heresy. It's that they're dangerous. They are dangerous men and women. That is what Jesus is telling us to beware of. Not just that they're teaching heresy, but they're dangerous people. And what's the word he uses to show us how dangerous they are? It's the next word he says. Beware of false prophets. Beware of the danger that's coming to you. Who, in, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Circle your Bible, the word inwardly. You see, outwardly they look like one of us. But their hearts are wicked and their hearts are dangerous and their hearts are leading people astray yet externally they look like they have it all together they look like you and I but they're ravenous wolves the reason that Jesus used the word wolves there in that passage is to remind us of who we are the wolves was the most dangerous predator to what a sheep and so this passage isn't just talking about the, the, the false prophets. It's also talking to us that, yes, there, there are false prophets that are like wolves, but it's to remind us that we are like sheep. And a few weeks ago, Brother Frank did an amazing job of walking us through 
what it looks like to be a sheep. You see, Jesus uses the word sheep here for a reason, uses the word wolves here for a reason, a sheep. It's what Frank said. There's two things about a, a sheep that stand out to me. They're the most helpless creature. And they are the most defenseless creature. Could you imagine a sheep standing up to a wolf? It's got no chance. It's got no chance. You and I, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, have no chance against false prophets. And so Jesus is telling us today, you must remind yourselves daily that you are needy and helpless in need of a great shepherd to protect you against the ravenous wolves. And they're out there. And yet we want to believe, no, they're not out there. Oh, they're out there. And they're getting more cunning and more baffling and more powerful and more seductive every day. How do we know that? Well, Joel Wolstein has a church literally that has 50,000 people in it right now. Anytime you buy out an old arena and pack it full of people, something is not going well for you there. But yet it looks, man, that guy's got it all together. And so Jesus is warning us against the wolves and reminding us, be reminded this morning that you and I are in deep need of someone to care for us. We need a shepherd. And we have a great shepherd. The other thing that we see here is this. That's the danger. And so what's the description? What do they look like? Jesus is going to tell us. Circle in your Bibles. It says this, and they came to them in sheep's clothing. Here's the deal. When you read that, our tendency is to go to that part of the passage and think that these wolves put on sheep's clothing and look like sheep. That's not what this passage is saying at all. These people are not coming to be in among us to be a part of us as sheep. They are coming. What God said this means is that the people that come like sheep's clothing mean they come, they look like the shepherd. A shepherd in that day would put on sheep's clothing. You see, a shepherd's going to put on things that are going to attract sheep to them. And so Jesus isn't saying to us, hey, these people are going to come among you as sheep. They're going to come in and among you as shepherds. That's the scariest part to me in this passage. That's the scariest part to me. They come and they look like shepherds, but they're here to destroy us. Here's what Paul tells us when he's addressing what men and women in sheep's clothing look like. He says, for such men are false apostles or false prophets or false people. They're deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ and Paul says this no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light so that no surprise his servants also decide disguise themselves as servants of righteousness yet their end will correspond to their deeds and so what Paul says again in First, Second Timothy three thirteen is this: While evil people and impostors go on from being bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, the description is this: They look like one of us. 
They look like children of light. They look like teachers of light. How come? Because their teacher looks like an angel of light. Satan is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Do we know that and do we believe that? Satan is attractive. Like Satan does not look like what we see in the cartoons, a red man with uh, pointy uh, ears and horns coming out of his tail and a tail waggling around and a pitchfork. That's not what Satan looks like. How come? Because if that guy came walking in the door, we'd all be like, hmm, he's off. <laughs> but man, a guy comes in, they look like they have it all together. We're drawn to them. We are drawn as men and women. We are drawn to charisma. It's just, it's in us. If someone with a charismatic personality comes, man, we lock in on that. And so don't be deceived by charisma. Because what Jesus is going to say to us now through the next part of the passage is, here's the danger of it, here's what they look, here's what they look like, and here's what you are to watch out for in verses 16 through 20. It says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. That's what Paul just told us in 2 Timothy chapter 13. Why people, why evil people and imposters go from what? Being bad to worse. From deceiving to being deceived. It gets worse. They will get worse. And yet Jesus gives us a promise here. Verse 16 is a promise. He doesn't say you might recognize them. He doesn't say there's a chance you'll recognize them. He didn't say there's a possibility you'll recognize them. He says to us in verse 16, you will recognize them. That's a promise from God. And yet it flows out of the rest of the passage. How will we know that they're false prophets? He says this, you will recognize them by their fruit. For grapes gather from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a, can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. He starts this part of the passage with, and ends it with the same promise. He promises us, you will recognize them. And so what are we to do? He says, you will know them by their fruit. So Jesus is telling us this. The first way that you and I, what we are to watch for is their fruit. Here's the deal about a fruit. It takes time to mature. You, you see, if you've planted a garden in the last couple weeks, you know you do not have any produce coming off of that, that tree or that plant now, correct? Unless you've done some super miracle. It's just now starting to come out of the ground and it's going to take a, a long time for it to come to fruition, to come to maturity, to give you fruit. And so Jesus is saying, you and I must watch faithfully the poor teaching. And so what Jesus is saying, don't believe them straight, straight off the bat. Allow them to expose themselves. You see, and the next thing that we see is not only does it take time, but the next thing he says, you've got to get close to it. Now, that's a scary thing to think about. Meaning, you and I, we, we need to read what Joel Olstein is saying so that we know the truth versus a lie. 
Because I do not know if the tree is bearing healthy fruit or not if I stand from here to the road and look at a tree. Because if I stand from here to the road and look, I'm from Florida, so an orange tree, all the oranges are going to look orange. But the moment I get closer and closer and closer is when I begin to notice it's diseased. We have to know what we're combating against. We have to know false teaching. And here's how we know what false teaching is. It's not that you know false teaching, it's that you know the truth. Jared told me this illustration, so if it's wrong, it's on Jared. You know, how do you get a person to learn about counterfeit money? You don't give them all the counterfeit bills, because they're always coming up with more counterfeits. What do you do? You learn the truth. You learn the true bill so that when counterfeit comes your way, you know it automatically. Not because you know what's counterfeit, but because you know what the truth is. And so for you and I, not only do we have to wait for maturity, but you and I must get close enough to the truth to know what is false. And so do you and I, do we know the truth of God? Or do we know what everyone else is teaching about the truth of God? The second thing we see is this. You will know them, if you watch for them, you will know them by their character. Flip over to Galatians chapter 5. Here's what the character, as you and I begin to watch faithfully and know the truth of God, the character of the person will be revealed in chapter 5. It says this. We'll start in verse 16. But I say, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, walk in the truth, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For here's the, the desire of the flesh are against the Spirit. The flesh and the Spirit cannot coexist, is what Paul is saying. For the, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now here's the work of the flesh. Here's what the flesh looks like. Here's what the character of a false prophet will look like over time. He says this. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, envy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, And the things like this I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the first thing that we look at when we look at people and we look at false prophets is we look at their character. And that's going to take time to know. But the internal will always be exposed through the external. No matter how hard a false prophet works, over time, their internal world will come out externally. Uh, it was so obvious in the late 80s and early 90s, all the false prophets, all the televangelists, they started dropping like flies. How come? Because their internal world will always come out externally. Always. Always. That's the promise we hear from, from the Lord. And the warning is this. They won't enter or receive the kingdom of God. 
Here's the deal. Here's what John MacArthur says about this. No person is saved by good works. You see, all the false prophets, all their good works aren't good at all. He says this, no person is saved by good works, but every believer is saved for good works. You're not saved by good works, you're saved for good works. And so for you and I, what are we to be like then? It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If we aren't to be saved by the good works that we do, if we aren't to be like the false prophets, if we're to be believers saved for good works, this is what he tells us. You are his workmanship. You see, a false prophet is not God's workmanship. God is not proud of that piece of artwork. What this word means here in the text, God's workmanship, it's as if God has done this painting, and where do you put the best paintings? You put it over your mantelpiece. You put it over your fireplace. So when the first thing that people come into your house, they see they see this piece of artwork. That's what Jesus is saying about us as his believers. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And so Jesus is saying, you'll look at the character of a man. A character of a man is going to show you the heart. And so what does the character of a man reveal? What does a true prophet of God look like? If a false prophet looks like this, what's a true prophet look like? Right? Because we, we want to counter, we want to do exactly what Jared taught me. You want to look at the truth, the, the, the dollar bill, the true dollar bill. So what does a true prophet of God look like? If this is what false prophets look like, and that list is continue, what does a true prophet of God look like? What does a true workman of God look like? What does a true man of God created in Christ Jesus look like? It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 26. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You will know them, what? By their fruit, Jesus told us. And so what is the fruit that we'll know them by? If, if you'll know them by their fruit, the things he just listed, you'll know that they're sexual and moral, they're impure, they're sensual, they're idolatry, then what does a true prophet of God look like? This list isn't very long, but this, leap, this list is rich, full, and full of things. And see, he says this, this is how you'll know what a true prophet of God looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is this, love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Those things that he just talked about in the previous verses with, with, the, with its passions and desires. Verse 25. If you live by the Spirit, let us keep on step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provo- provoking one another and envying one another. So that's what a true prophet of God looks like. So we must know what a true prophet of God looks like so that we know what a false prophet of God looks like. The next thing that we see is this. We look at their character, and then we look at their creed. We look at what they teach. What are false prophets teaching? Here's the scariest part about a false prophet. False prophets are so scary because they do teach the things of God. They really do. If you listen to Joel Olstein, you'll listen to the things he's teaching, and he does teach the things of God. But we've got to be careful what he's not teaching. You see, the things that he talks about are blessings. God does bless 
people. Amen? So he's talking about God's blessing. That's true. Like, okay, that's great, Joel. You're talking about God's blessings. But what is he not talking about? Here's a few things that false prophets won't teach on. They won't teach on the holiness of God. And they won't talk about the demand. Read me out of lips. The demand God puts on us as his children for our holiness. They're not going to teach on that. They're not going to teach on righteousness. They're not going to teach on justice. And they're really not going to teach on God's wrath. And so we begin to listen to false prophets for all the things they are teaching, but we want to open our ears to what they're not teaching. And they reveal who they are by what they're not teaching. Here's what he says to us, Paul says to us, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. People don't want sound teaching. People don't want rebuke. People don't want correction. I don't want to be corrected. And the more you, you and I, it's Paul saying, the more that happens, the more we say, nah, we don't need it. But having uh, itching in their ears, they will articulate for themselves teachers or accommodate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions. Like if you're coming here to Powell's Chapel to feel good, I pray you leave feeling bad. That means I've done my job. And I'm not saying, man, I hope you put your head down. I hope you get discouraged every time you leave. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit of God will lead all of us out of this room with some level of conviction because the conviction comes from the Holy Spirit and conviction reminds me that I'm in need of a Savior to have the ongoing process of what he talks about, our sanctification. The ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. False teachers don't teach on that. They say, you got it. You came to Jesus, that's all you need. Now wait for his blessings. And if you're not getting blessed, you're probably not a Christian. That kind of sums up what a false prophet's going to tell you. And so he goes on to say, suited for their own desires, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's what false prophets do. They make the believer wander away from the truth. The last thing that we see that false prophets will not teach on is this. They avoid preaching and teaching on sin and depravity. D depravity just means our internal nature, that we are carnal men and women prone to sin. Even when we come to Christ, we are still, there's still something in us that's prone to sin, which is a reminder that we need a Savior to lead us in holiness and righteousness. So even after our salvation, we're still in need of a shepherd to pull us and to woo us to become more righteous. And the next thing that they don't preach on is sin. They don't want to talk about how bad we really are. They just want to talk about how good we are. There is sin. There is sin. And so a false prophet will not teach on God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's justice, God's wrath, Wrath against what? Our sinful nature. We do, and I'll say it over and over and over, we do have a very wrathful God. And it's His wrath that reveals to us His justice, and it's His justice that will reveal to us His love. 
Because if we believe in the wrath of God and we believe in the justice of God, that therefore we'll believe that we are sinful people in need of a Savior and God's the one that provided us with a Savior. False teachers aren't going to teach on that. Do we at this church believe us as human beings are fallen and wicked creatures in need of a great God? We have to believe that. And so there's these people that are going to stand at the narrow gate and say to us, oh no, you're not that bad. You just go on this way. That's what he's teaching to us. Oh no, it's not that bad. You're not that bad. You don't need that. You don't need him. You, you don't need to do this or do that. Just live your life and God will bless you. And yet, Jesus, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, has put great demands onto us. Flip back to chapter 5. He has put the demand on us to be poor in spirit. He has put the demand on us to mourn over our sin. He has put the demand on us to be meek. He has put the demand on us to be hunger and thirst for righteousness. He has put the demand on us to be merciful. But yet he knows that in that demand we cannot do it on our own. So therefore he's given us a Savior that when we submit our will and our life to him, when we say you are both Jesus, Lord, and you are King, that then therefore we have all that we need to live out the Beatitudes. We have all that we need to live out a life of holiness and righteousness because it's not in and of ourselves that we live those things. We live that out of submission to Jesus Christ. Do we believe that? And so Jesus is teaching us in this passage, beware of the false prophets that say you are not in need and you are not in, in need of a great Savior. That you come and you enter this way and you live however you want. That's not what Jesus is saying to us at all in this passage. There are great demands that he's placed on us as his children. And false prophets are going to say, no, there is no demand. Do what you want, how you want, when you want. And so for us, as we come to this close of the passage, he says to us again, you will know them and you will recognize them by their fruits. And so what does that mean for us? I'll close with this one passage. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. What is God calling us to do today? The so what to the passage is this comes from Paul. He says this, but test everything and hold fast to what is good or what is true. And so for even for you this morning, my prayer has been all week that you would take what I've preached to you and you would take this and you would make it your own and you wouldn't believe it just because I've preached it, but you would believe it because you believe in the truth of God. And my hope for you as men and women that claim to know Christ, that we would know false prophets because we know the truth. And so the challenge for us is, and that's why we, every month we've been given out at, at the back, hey, here's a way to read the Bible. If you don't know how to read the Bible, we're helping you read the Bible. Take that reading Bible plan and begin to read the Word of God, the truth of God, so that you know the truth of God, therefore you can distinguish what is false. Don't take it just because I've preached it. Take it because the living Word of God is in you and you know the Word of God. We hold this Bible, we hold the truth of God above everything else at this church. This church. That this is what we build our life on. We don't build our lives on this preaching and this teaching. We build it on this. And that's what we're going to look at next week.
what is your foundation? What is your foundation? That's how Jesus ends the whole Sermon on the Mount, to show to us what do we believe to be true and what are we building our lives on? Let us go to God in prayer. God, it's scary that there are false prophets. But I'm so grateful for your promise where you say, we will know them. But that will come directly out for us, God. How well do we know the truth that you have given us through your word? How well do we know you, God? I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that does not know you as their Lord and as their Savior, that today your Holy Spirit would draw them to you, that you would draw them to yourself, God. That in some way that you've used this message and you've used these songs and you've used this fellowship to say to them, oh, I am a sheep and I'm lost and I need a shepherd. And that they would hear you, the great shepherd, calling them. God, I pray for any of us who may have wandered from the truth. We're believers, but we wandered from the truth. That today, your Holy Spirit would draw us back through deep conviction. We'd come through repentance, God, from the things that we have been drawn away from. And we'd repent those things, of those things, and turn back to you. God, thanks for your truth. Thanks for this sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached. And thanks for the hope that we have in you. That apart from you, we can do nothing, God. But you've given us your son, Jesus. Therefore, we can have life and life to the full. So God, we do. We test everything. And we hold fast to what is good and what is true. And that is you. We pray this in Christ's holy and famous name. Amen.